Let's go. Nick, here we are, man. How's it going? It's going well, Lord. How are you, man? I'm doing well. Well, um, to everyone, thanks for tuning in for the first uh, inaugural episode of Cloud Coverage. Um, so today's guest is Nick Thomas. Um, he's a buddy of mine at Microsoft. Uh, and kind of how I know him is through the Aspire program, which is a program at Microsoft um, where they hire um, university graduates and kind of give them the training to succeed within um, the organization. So we met through that, and but I'll kind of let him in- intro himself and we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Uh, hello. Thanks for having me on board. I feel honored to be a part of the uh, first episode of, of cloud coverage. Um, but uh, yeah, my name is Nick Thomas, and my role at Microsoft is a cloud solution architect. So both Ward and I are technically in the sales organization, and we came in through the Aspire program. I uh, am technically a graduate of the Aspire program <clears throat> now since I have been through my two years, and it's kind of just like a an onboarding community of young people to help, help uh, you know, you lean on them and and get to know them and it's a really good networking opportunity especially for those of us like myself who started in the middle of the pandemic in july of 2020 so uh there was not a whole lot of uh, opportunity for for in-person networking at the time (laughs) so my uh my responsibilities as a my responsibilities as a as a cloud solution architect i'll probably just use csa for short for the remainder of, of today but uh my responsibilities as csa kind of begin and end with uh, with our customers of Microsoft, primarily Microsoft Azure. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is what Azure is and what, what the cloud is kind of. And uh, and yeah, they, I'm basically kind of a, uh, what is supposed to be a trusted advisor to our customers that uh, kind of, kind of acts in best interest for our customer. I'm not, I'm not a salesperson. I don't technically have a quota per se, I'm not. I'm not trying to get our customers to spend as much money on the platform as possible. That's not my goal. I'm in the customer success unit, so I want to make sure that they are as successful as possible on the platform. So that's a little yeah. bit about what I do as a CSA. Yeah, that's great. I appreciate that, uh, Nick. And that kind of intros us into kind of the conversation today. Nick has helped me understand the very basic concepts of the cloud. And we've talked through a lot of it um, as I've onboarded. And I just kind of had this realization that, you know, a lot of people were in my shoes where they had no idea, you know, the the concepts of cloud and what the cloud was and, you know, why it was beneficial. So I thought this pod would just be good for the general public um, to understand the same things. And there wasn't a, a, you know, another person that came to mind aside from Nick that I thought would be um, best fit for this first episode. So the episode today uh, is titled why cloud and why is it important? So I think we can just go ahead and kick it off. You know, Nick, why, what is the cloud? Yeah, it's a, it's an outstanding question, uh, especially for a non-technical um a person asking it and I've, uh, I've I've struggled myself with explaining it to loved ones of mine who uh, are just bewildered by what IT is in general let alone what these sophisticated cloud technologies are that uh, that I work with on a daily basis and I, I thought I came up with a, a, a good example though I'm gonna just kind of kick off with my explanation of what I what I think is is a good way to explain it and uh, that is kind of Thinking of the cloud in the basic sense of what you might be familiar with already, something like an iCloud 
or uh, Microsoft OneDrive or Box and or Dropbox, you know, those types of uh, file storing services. On a basic level, what these allow you to do is use cloud storage, you know, also known as storing documents and other things like photos and stuff uh, with some of these cloud providers. Uh, and then the, the point of it is that you have access to any and all of those things you store in the cloud on any device at any time, all accessed securely over the internet. So right. to level set, that's kind of the intro of how I, I in, want people to think of it as, is, you know, everyone is a cloud user in some capacity, right, with, with iCloud and, and things like that. So um, the purpose yeah. of this question of uh, asking me what the cloud is, is I believe to speak more uh, in terms of cloud computing and what we do with Microsoft Azure. Um, and so I'll start by talking about the, the cloud service providers and what that means, not just file storage services, although that is a big part of it, right? Right, yeah, that'd be great. So the phrase cloud computing is, uh, it's, there's a great deal of differences in the computing aspect as opposed to just the file storage aspect. Yeah. Cloud computing is quite literally accessing computational resources over the internet, which are housed, managed, and sometimes 100% maintained by the service provider. The three main clouds, uh, cloud service providers, otherwise known as CSPs, cloud service providers, uh, in the U.S. are Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. Yeah. And when I talk about accessing computational resources over the internet, what I mean is things like computers and servers. Uh, those are, that's kind of the foundation of, of the internet is servers. So yep. um, uh, any, individ any individual like a small team or a startup or an enterprise company can use these cloud service providers to host their technology that they are creating and, and using and serving to their customers. Uh, that technology it can be both you know, internally facing amongst just their own employees as well as customer facing or public facing um, websites and web services that you use. Uh, but before we go further, I think it's important we understand what the alternative to cloud computing is and how pervasive it still is today, even with the rapid growth of cloud technologies. Absolutely. And like I said, everything is based, everything is based on uh, computers and servers and th the traditional way of doing all of these things and what you should think of when I start to describe the types of responsibilities maintained by the customer and the CSP, uh, that cloud computing, this responsibilities that cloud computing help alleviate for customers are things like owning your own data center. It's, it's a huge amount of responsibility and money associated with owning your own data center or just a server rack or just, you know, maintaining your server and your network yourself and things like that. Right. Um, Owning your own data center is predictably enormously expensive, especially at scale of very large companies. Um, the same example applies for what I mentioned earlier about the types of use cases for cloud, such as a technology company has, yes, like even like desktops that people are using, you know, you can, with cloud technologies, you kind of have the opportunity to send an employee a really, really cheap like Chromebook, for example, and all it really needs to have is internet access and a browser on it. And then you can access a super powerful computer right. that is very, very, very low latency, very responsive, very quick, um, just in, in a web browser. So it's 
kind of an interesting thing to think about in terms of a cloud use. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to kind of camp out here for a second. So you have, you know, on-premise what we're have been used to for years, and then you have the cloud kind of becoming more widely adopted and will continue to do so. Um, so Nick, could, do you mind just kind of touching on, you know, what customers, you know, if they're leveraging an on-premise infrastructure, what they have to manage and consider versus what they have to manage and consider if they are hosting their infrastructure in the cloud? Yes, absolutely. Um, I would, I would love, I would love to get to that point. Um, yeah, I have a really good, I have a really good example too that I want to go over a little bit later on. But, yeah, then we'll uh, wait. Yeah, we'll I, wait. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be there in just a couple minutes. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, so common things, you know, hosted on these computers and servers and things could be anything like you know local applications for internal employees to get their jobs done or widely accessed public websites, like I mentioned earlier. These are these things all live on servers somewhere. The cloud has, what they what the cloud has done is eliminate the need to pay for the physical space required to operate the data center and the capital expenditure of buying large quantities of server hardware, which is also hugely expensive, and all the other things that come along with operating that data center like heat, like the cooling of each server rack and, you know, making sure that you have very appropriate physical access to that space so that random people can't just go in there and start pulling plugs, uh, as well as fault tolerance of power supplies that power all this entire thing, you know? Right. Um, so as you can see, the, the topic of explaining cloud computing gets rather complex rather quickly. <laughs> so uh, back to back to what cloud computing alleviates for these companies maintaining their data centers is uh, what we what we provide as CSPs is the data centers for them, basically. It's like data centers as a service. And we're going to talk a lot about services later. <laughs> so data centers all over the world, all over the world, extremely tightly managed physical spaces with very sophisticated software to accurately provision and create cloud resources like computers and servers somewhere within one of their racks of one of their data centers. And you, the customer, has access to those things all securely over the internet. Yeah. It's very cool stuff. That's really cool. So, um, yeah, just, just when you think of when you store all your photos in iCloud, they essentially just live in a data center owned and operated by Apple somewhere in the world. Um, Apple may utilize their own, you know, cloud service providers like Amazon or Microsoft or Google to alleviate some of their stress of running all those data centers all over the world. But, you know, that's not for us to know or, or really worry about. The only thing you're worried about is making sure that your photos load. <laughs> right. So yeah, when locally, locally though, in your, uh, in your photo library, you may see a blurry version of those photos you have. Um, but this is pretty much just metadata stored on your device to give you a preview of what the actual photo is. Uh, the metadata takes up a very small amount of space, so it's very easy to do this at, at scale. Uh, and when you click on it, you may be frustrated at how long it takes to no longer be blurry and have the photo fully render. This is your iPhone just silently making requests to uh, that Apple data center over the internet and then returning the data bits and bytes at a time to view the full image that you're trying to look at. So everything over the internet is kind of what cloud is, data centers and internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the next, the next thing, 
the, yeah, the next thing I wanted to talk about, if that's okay, Ward, is yeah, uh, diving into those responsibilities that uh, you had asked about earlier for and sure. what, what it means for our, for our data to be stored in the cloud. And feel free to interrupt me at any point. So no, you're uh, good. I'm learning a lot. I know, I know the listeners are learning a lot, so we're going to keep you rolling. Um, But yeah, I think this part is super significant um, and important. So I'd love for you to cover this. Absolutely. Um, What it means for data to be stored in the cloud is dependent on what type of cloud services or cloud products you're using. You may be what is a cloud product, you know, like I know what a product is at a grocery store. What's a cloud product. (laughs) We're going to talk about that a little bit later as well. Um, This is where I would like to reference the shared responsibility model. We sometimes have customers ask, so what are you responsible for? And what are we responsible for? And I'm going to tell you about that right now. So we will, uh, we'll link, we'll link this somewhere in the description of the of the podcast or uh, in a post associated with it or something that you can read Absolutely. about the shared responsibility model. But uh, I'll go over a little bit about what that is that Microsoft has publicly published for our customers to go learn about what are you responsible for and what are we responsible for based on the type of cloud service or product you choose. Um, there are three types of services offered by CSPs and they are referred to as infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, and software as a service. Those for short are referred to as IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS. Um, they all sound different, which is silly, but uh, the same three, uh, three ending words there. Um, the type of responsibility that is on the CSP and responsibility of the customer is dependent on which type of which type of uh, product you choose. You know, is it an infrastructure product? Is it a platform product? Or is it a software as a service product, basically? So what you use in each particular scenario is completely dependent as well. Yeah. Um, IaaS, which is the infrastructure as a service, is going to leave the most amount of responsibility with the customer. While PaaS, which is the platform as a service, is a little bit more of a mix, uh, but mostly the CSP's responsibility. And SaaS, which is software as a service, is the most out-of-the-box solution, which uh, nearly all of the responsibility of the hosting, reliability, availability, and performance of whatever particular workload you're accessing is uh, is on the cloud service provider. And once again, like I mentioned, I'm going to uh, link that in the episode here. But there's a very, very, very good analogy to help you kind of visualize the differences between IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS in a much more friendly way with pizzas, which is uh, it's a really fun one to learn about is <laughs> about the pizzas. So the way I want you to think about it here is there are different ways of ingredients gathering, construction of, baking of, and consumption of said pizza as an analogy to using and consuming cloud services. So if you choose to make your own pizza dough, make your own pizza sauce, purchase cheese from a store or grate it, you know, right from a big block you you buy, uh, as well as prepare any other toppings for that pizza uh, you, you want on the pizza, you are not only responsible for every single part of that pie physically, you are also responsible for the oven used to bake it, as well as the electrical gas required to power that oven and the beverage you consume with that pizza, and the table you eat it on, right? 
<laughs> every yeah, part awesome. of the responsibility is, <laughs> is, is on you, right? Um, this method of a pizza eating experience is the most similar to operating your own on-premises data center. You're responsible for everything from the ground up. It's a pretty ridiculous analogy, but uh, it, it, it works for this. So st stick with me. Um, I like it. So like I said, that's, yeah, there are, there are other variations of it as well for the IaaS portion, PaaS portion, and SaaS portion. In the middle, with uh, we're going to talk about IaaS, PaaS, and SaaS in terms of this analogy right now. Uh, if you choose to do a, let's like a, do a take and bake or a frozen pizza from the store, uh, many of the responsibilities of consuming that pizza and your pizza eating experience uh, are already covered, you know, such as making it, but not baking it. You are still responsible for baking it. And uh, now th all those things are actually making it is on the frozen pizza supplier. This option is most similar to infrastructure as a service where it is still expected for you, the customer, to have the responsibility of providing your own oven, the gas electric for that oven, your own beverage, and the dining table, for example. The pizza example, when it comes to platform as a service, or PaaS, assumes you have chosen to have a pizza delivered to you. In this example, all you have to provide for yourself is your own beverage and dining table that caters to your pizza eating experience. Most of the responsibility lies on the vendor or the CSP or the provider of the pizza in this in this case. And the, the last option of driving to a pizza restaurant and dining in. And the final example, you are not even responsible for your own beverage or dining table. It is all handled by the provider. And that is most similar to the SaaS operating model. Uh, and as silly as it might seem, it is a very interesting analogy because it is very applicable. You know, you can easily acknowledge the differences in the experience of a pizza eating in terms of the price you pay for your experience in direct correlation to the level of convenience it is for you. Yeah. So to come full circle here, so I'll, uh, I'll let you chime in because I've been monopolizing here, but to come full circle, good. what it means to store data in the cloud is that I can create, download, modify whatever documents I want and storing them with a cloud service uh, provider takes my responsibility completely out of the equation. What I mean by that is I no longer have to buy an iPhone with the maximum amount of internal storage to keep all my photos or keep an old external hard drive for all my extra documents that won't fit on my laptop. Instead, I can offload that responsibility to yeah. a cloud service provider. The benefit of nearly infinite scale of how much I can use, right? The only caveat here is that these, these documents and photos are likely only able to be viewable with internet connection. And given that the CSP has upheld their end of the bargain about how I am supposed to be able to access them all the time. So <laughs> that was incredible. I don't think I've heard a more digestible explanation of the three cloud services than you just gave right there. So that is, that is something that I will continue to use to explain. Um, and it took me weeks to understand that process or, you know, those services. And I felt like our, our listeners could understand that running through that a couple of times. So thanks for using the, uh, the pizza analogy um, and making it user-friendly. That was incredible. Um, I know we, we want to keep these episodes kind of on the shorter end, just so our listeners aren't overwhelmed 
with the information, um, but just kind of a high level, your perspective, you know, why is the cloud important? Yeah, I, I was I was hoping that's the last question because I've uh, got plenty to say on this topic as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I think it is important for all the benefits that we just talked about. Some benefits can be really plentiful when you put yourself in the shoes of an IT exec at a big company or honestly, even a small startup that has a really speedy application development practice. You know, right. uh, I'll start with the uh, I'll start with the small team environment as an example. If you are in a startup environment, there's a good chance your team is writing a lot of code and your business model revolves around making sure that code is bug-free and available to as many people as possible with the utmost resiliency and, and all of that. Uh, one thing the cloud is really good at doing for these types of use cases is making it as easy as possible for these developers to push new code to produ production. You know, make our changes, make our app better, and make it available to as many people as possible as quickly as possible. In many cases, uh, you can have a completely automated deployment method where you just have one smart smart guy making the changes uh, to the code behind the scenes, pressing one button, and the new version of that application is available immediately. Um, in, a, in a traditional data center experience, this would be really, really, really burdensome. Uh, with a lot of forced manual intervention. And uh, the more manual intervention, as we all know, there's a more high probability of something is to go wrong. So as opposed to the cloud-first method where the, the devs can just build templates for things that they know work and then reuse yeah. those templates for deployments indefinitely, kind of. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, just circling back on the IT exec um, about why he might think it's a, a beneficial and why the cloud is important for his business and making sure he gets his paycheck every week. <laughs> um, an, IT an IT leader at a large company might be enticed to move some of their workloads to the cloud. Um, as you may know, many businesses need reliability of web applications and the underlying hardware of those web applications, like the network and the servers of it all, the IT infrastructure of it all to ensure that their applications that make their businesses money are available to users. So a lot of it is about availability, making sure that people can go to it and it's access it's accessible. Yeah. If uh, if their application can't be accessed, they're not making money, and the uh, IT leadership is unhappy. Right? They're they're going to get fired. They're not going to get their paycheck. They're going to be upset. Uh, the cloud has introduced a really powerful myriad of services and capabilities to have your application be able to exist in many different regions and geographies around the world simultaneously. Uh, there's a couple ways to go about doing that. And one thing I help customers do and understand as a CSA, cloud architect, is uh, how we can make their application highly available. So uh, we might talk about strategies and best practices for them to make sure that if there is an outage of one of the Azure data centers uh, somewhere around the world, that their application can still be accessed over the internet and their company can still make money. Microsoft's backbone network is like top three largest internet backbone network, IT infrastructure network in the world. Uh, I think I remember seeing that Microsoft has something of like 160,000 miles of fiber optic cable that, ex that exists underneath the ocean surf, underneath the ocean surface, like sinking down to the bottom, <laughs> and that connects all of Microsoft's data centers to one another. Uh, 
So they are the data centers on different continents are hardwired to one another. You can very much think of it that way. So cool. Uh, these, yeah. So getting back to why that IT exec might see some benefit in the cloud, you know, they they don't have to build these data centers. They already exist. And they are managed by us, Microsoft, or a different cloud service provider. If they knew they could make sure their application was as available as possible, and they could make the most amount of money possible, it's a win for them. It also just so happens to be a win for us and the cloud service providers as well. That's great. Yeah. What I think was so huge about that explanation is, and so many kind of why we talk about cloud with clients is every benefit of the cloud is tied to a business outcome. You know, a business is going to be left in a better place because of the cloud. And so I think Nick did a great job of explaining, you know, this is the benefit of the cloud, but this is really why it's going to, or how it's going to impact the customer's business. So I appreciate you doing that. Uh, And just kind of that, that leads me into my last question. And if we have the time, I'd love to, you know, just a brief, brief moment on this is, do you have any, you've been working for customers with customers for two years, right? Do you have any stories that come, you know, or on top of mind regarding, you know, you've seen, you know, customer either transition from a data center into the cloud and how that benefited them or a specific workload they adopted that really left them in a better position. Uh, I think our listeners would love to take what they've listened to today and apply it to a real world scenario. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a fun one. Um, I've done, I've, I've, I've had my hand in uh, a handful of, of migrations or so at this point where they go from operating uh, on-premises data center servers to, you know, moving them to, to Microsoft Azure. So they're hosted by them. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of benefits they realize come along with that. But uh, one of, one of the cooler examples I have that I like to tell people who just like our listeners now have a pretty good base understanding of what the cloud can provide is uh, a really good example of what a platform as a service is that we offer to our customers. Cool. Uh, and this is this is one of the things that's only possible because of the power of the cloud. And uh, we have a lot of companies who like to crunch large amounts of data and to perform computational tasks like that, it can be very expensive to do in an on-premises data center type of uh, type of situation because you are buying an enormous amount of hardware with computational resources and then you have to have data center technicians make sure they are physically connected with one another and uh, make sure the network is all in there and make sure then you have to install all the software on them and then you have to apply your you know your your code to that your what what the the analysis you're trying to run to that very complex daisy chained uh, on-premises system. And a really cool example of what I think the power of the cloud is, is uh, how we just have these services out there. We provide them with the platform, like Azure Databricks, for example. And I'm certainly no no expert in Databricks, but it's just, it's so cool to understand that a customer, all they have to do is bring their own data, bring their own task they want to be completed and feed that data into our platform as a service, Microsoft Azure Databricks. And then on the back end, we have very, very, very sophisticated automation practices that spin up the exactly appropriate amount of computational resources needed to make these type of computational transactions. And uh, then we, we run the job, 
the customer gets their outcome and then they're automatically deprovisioned and shut back down again. So they're only so paying cool. for what they use. It's a huge value add. So I think that's one of the cooler examples I like to share with people. Yeah, that was awesome. Super, super cool stuff. Well, I think that's kind of bringing us to the uh, to the end of our time here, um, as I like to keep these episodes under 30 minutes. But Nick, huge thank you to you, man. That was so informative in such an efficient way. Um, so thanks for hopping on. And we'll uh, to the listeners, we'll make sure we're linking the things that we talked about today. Um, and reach out, you know, via LinkedIn or whatever platform to ask any questions. And maybe we'll cover those in a, you know, a future episode, but thanks again, Nick, uh, greatly appreciated. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. look forward to, uh, to talking with you guys on LinkedIn and everything. Absolutely. See y'all.